You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Um, it is good to see those of you who are here and, um, yeah, of course I, uh, I'm excited. I know Aaron's going to talk a little bit more, uh, in a bit about our uh, plan moving forward, uh, as restrictions are lifted here in Los Angeles and, um, from your responses, um, in this community, um, of uh, what you told us you were comfortable with and how you wanted to return to in-person services and community here at Central. So we're gonna be doing that kind of in a blended way that uh, Aaron will share a bit more about. Uh, so we'll be doing an occasional in-person service with uh, some other opportunities for uh, us to get together over the summer um, for other events. But uh, thank you so much for giving us your feedback. It was so helpful and important as the elders and the board met together to talk about uh, what it looked like for us to um, you know, try and have some semblance of normal and realize what life's going to look like for us, um, at least in the immediate future here. Um, yeah, so always appreciative of you and the ways that you contribute to our community. Uh, of course, if you're just coming in now, now's a great time to grab something for communion. This we'll be sharing in communion together today. So whatever those elements are in your home, um, yeah, go ahead and grab them. Um, also, it's uh, good news has happened in lots of ways as more people are getting vaccinated, numbers are falling, and also here in Los Angeles County. And of course, you know, we're a place where we are packed in really tight together. And so um, we certainly have some things to celebrate there, though, while we are uh, starting to come out of this, uh, there are places all over the world that are really, really struggling. Um, and so I'm happy that we are committing to help poorer nations uh, in getting vaccinations happening, but we are just making the smallest steps now um, in the world. And so those will be things that we continue to talk about that while this feels like we are moving forward, we still have a long way to go in our um, global community. Um, and so especially here as we're in Pride Month and we are um, celebrating the stories and lives of marginalized people, um, it reminds me that there are so many ways that people are marginalized and that we marginalize others too. Um, so I'd love for us to open our service in prayer this morning. And as part of that, um, I'm gonna be sharing a prayer from Reverend Jude uh, Geiger, who is a Unitarian Universalist minister um, and wrote this, uh, the end of uh, what we'll pray together as a, um, a prayer in the middle of Pride Week and particularly right here in 2021 um, as we're going through so many changes uh, in our own lives. Would you join me in prayer? God, 
God of life and love and hope. Thank you for this space. Thank you for this community as we have struggled over more than a year to hold on and to be community. Thank you for giving us um, the space where we can meet together. Uh, we have had so much change. We've mourned and we've lost so much. We don't know what it looks like for things to come back. And even as we celebrate changes happening here, um, even as we recognize victories, we know that there's still so much more work to do, both here and um, across this world that you call us to be a part of. God, make us people of truth. Make us people of hope. Make us people of compassion and reconciliation and healing in all the many ways. So we pray these words from Reverend Jude Greiger. Spirit of life, God of many names, source of love. In this month where we celebrate the lives and the struggles of transgender, lesbian, gay, and bisexual people, help us to find a path forward where each of us may live our lives, where those from the LGBTQ community may live their lives honest to who they are with grace and empathy for one another. May the difficult lessons and the times of strife nurture compassion in our hearts for others who struggle, especially for those whose hardships are different than our own. May the strength that we learn in our toughest hours help us to carry another forward in their time of need. Mother of dignity, when the world tells each of us that we have no worth, help us not to believe the lie. And so to steer us away from words that will diminish our neighbors. We each fall down, moments of short tempers, prejudices we hold, or old injuries of the spirit that surface in hard ways. May we be gracious with ourselves as we learn to grow with patience and care. Amen. Amen. This morning I wanted to share, um, it's actually, uh, it's called the Psalm 78 Remix. And it is from our friends at Infleshed and um, uh, a liturgical resource that we've shared a lot uh, over this time. But uh, as I was reading through, I just love kind of this rewriting of uh, some of the Psalms for our modern context in an open and inclusive way and format. Um, so I hear these words. Uh, it's, it's certainly a paraphrase and uh, a modern rendition of Psalm 78. Beloveds, remember this. 
Though we speak in modern language, these holy truths reach from generations past. The sacred stories that we tell are made of the stuff that lasts when everything else fades away. They come from sources of wisdom tried and tested through struggle and silence. When the ones before us were pressed to their spiritual limits, bound by oppressive restraints, made weary by loss, these truths were a lifeline. It reaches to us still today. It is our medicine, our strength, our memory, our future. No matter the risks we face, we will not sever the threads of wisdom that weave our survival together. We will carry on. We will carry out these divine teachings that promise hope beyond our reach. We will tell the stories of God. We will not allow histories to become hidden, not their ugly, nor their glory. For God has always set free those truths proclaimed in practice. This lineage of liberation that companions through the impossible and the unimaginable dare not end with us. I'll share this link here as well, but if you're interested, um, in a kind of modern refresh and retake of some ancient texts. It's some pretty beautiful stuff. Thanks, Bob. Now is the time we'll be taking communion together. Um, Bob says it's only Pop-Tarts today, so if you don't have those, I guess it's not real communion but hopefully uh, whatever you have can still be transubstantiated. <laughs> uh, we have a fun I'm gonna have to edit a lot this morning. Yeah, exactly. It's unsubstantiated, we're, we're Protestant men. Oh, sorry, sorry, my apologies. <laughs> Pop-tart substantiated. Um, okay, so I'll be reading a little communion liturgy um, on the continuation of it uh, being Pride Month and uh, on the continuation of the theme that we start picked up uh, last week, um, but um, kind of opening our arms and our minds to the idea of, of, uh, of sexuality and queerness and LGBTQ identities um, and, um, and how that actually fits in uh, with a tradition that has long tried to exclude. Um, so there's some really beautiful work being done by really beautiful people in this area. Um, last week we listened to Semler, I would say keep listening. Um, <clears throat> but uh, there's some great authors and poems and liturgies too. So um, I'm gonna read one of those. It's gonna be a communion um, liturgy. So hopefully you have had a chance to grab your elements and hear these words as we take communion together as one body separated by many screens. It is our joy, O oh God, to express our gratitude for your work in us. You offer to us life abundant, free from needing to conform to the pressures of our world. You wove us together with all the creation that we might be like you, creators. You set us in the garden to plant, to grow, to help life flourish. You set a path before us to co-create with you in a world where beauty and truth and goodness might thrive. But we have betrayed our calling. Instead of allowing life to flourish in its many forms too often, O oh God, we turn away 
from those who don't conform to our expectations. At times, we even become violent towards anyone who is different. Your creative hand in the formation of our queer and trans siblings is punished by both church and world. Since the beginning, we have struggled to overcome our fear of difference. But in your love for all of us, you took on the very flesh the world despises, the flesh of one on the borders, the flesh of one who broke rules, the flesh of one who hung out with outcasts and weirdos and sinners. In Christ, we are awakened to the holiness of difference. When the sacredness of those on the margins is affirmed, the powers that depend on the status quo are threatened. And so the religious and political leaders set out to end the life of Jesus. On the night of his arrest, he gathered around table with his companions. He took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together or whatever you have today. Did the same with the cup after the supper saying, this cup that is poured out is the new covenant. I invite you to take the cup together. And so in remembrance of the one who refused to conform to values and practices that harm, we pray that the spirit would make us one in our vision for the kingdom where all are free to flourish in our created forms. Pour out your spirit on our bread and cup that we might be the body of the queer Christ, relentless pursuer of love in all its surprising, confronting, and varied manifestations. Amen. Thanks so much, Max. Uh, so we got some new summer announcements. I hope everyone's ready. Uh, leadership met and we talked and we wanna talk about getting everyone together again as it's getting safer. So um, just a quick note, the gathering will be pausing, but Bob will still be available for one-on-ones or if you wanna still talk about a lot of cool stuff further, you can still reach out to him. And then Aaron will be emailing out a schedule for the summer and we will be setting up Facebook invites. But for now, um, for June, um, here's a little summary. Uh, Dan and I will be leading hikes all summer. So the first hike will be June 20. Um, and then post hike, we will be hanging out at Aaron and Emily's to get together, have some drinks. June 19th, is it June? I think it's June 19th, isn't it? Because June, June 20 is a- I stand corrected. That's cool. It's the Saturday. Yeah. Um, so we'll be hanging out at Aaron and Emily's afterwards, um, and we will be setting up the maps and the trail guide and all that good stuff ahead of time. Um, and then on June 25th, uh, we'll be having a park play date. I'm sure Aaron has more details on that later. Um, the 27th, we will be holding brunch at Aaron and Emily's, and that will be post-church. And then all additional details will be followed up on Facebook and email. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Angie. Um, I did just post the summer schedule on Facebook this morning. Um, you can find it there. Again, it's just no details are included in that. It's just meant to put things on your radar. So details will be forthcoming along with safety protocols. 
uh, as the staff and I will uh, will discuss how to how to negotiate those those tricky waters. But um, you know, bear with us; it's kind of a work in progress, and we're going to do our best. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm just excited that we actually get to gather again in person and different capacities here starting this summer. Um, and maybe that's you know the best time of year to do it when things are kind of easygoing and maybe lighter in, in attendance anyway. But um, anyway, um, yeah, just stay tuned about all that. And so the only part- thing I wanted to uh, just add briefly to that is that, um, of course, we are going to be uh, meeting occasionally for in-person services, yes. as you'll see on that calendar. Um, but we will still have a, a Zoom option available right. for those. So if you are not yet comfortable with that, um, uh, you are more than welcome to attend that service virtually as well. Um, so we'll still have virtual services every Sunday um, for the foreseeable future, even as we're meeting. In oh, yeah. yeah. And even before pandemic, even before the pandemic, we did uh, our services Facebook Live. But probably moving forward, uh, the Zoom format um, allows us to have more interaction uh, in, on even in in-person services with a computer up front, maybe by the, uh, the, the lectern or the pulpit. Uh, and yeah, Andrew Gus, um, brunch will be after the virtual service that morning. We'll have a shorter kind of truncated virtual service that morning. And then there'll be brunch at the Parsonage outside um, in the front yard as it's got ample space, um, probably about noon. Uh, and we'll, we'll send out more information about that. But that way, the truncated service will probably end around 1030, 1040. And then everybody's got an hour and a half if they want to come to uh, the brunch to, to do so. And that'll probably be, I don't know, we'll figure out whether it'll be, how much it'll be potluck. It'll probably be pretty potluck, pretty potluck. Anyway, um, lots of stuff happening. Prayer requests, words of Thanksgiving. Um, does anybody have something they want to share this morning? There's uh, nothing, and that's okay sometimes, you know. Uh, Max, I'm going to hand it over to you. Thanks, Aaron. <clears throat> um, today we're going to listen to uh, an artist um, who uh, is named Amethyst Kia. Uh, I don't know if that, I've never actually heard their last name uh, pr- pronounced, so I hope that's close, but it's called Wild Turkey. Um, It's a song about their upbringing and um, sort of uh, navigating the world and our American culture as part of the LGBTQ community. Um, And it's just a beautiful song. So hear this today. I hope you enjoy it. Screaming to the unknown Cause she's never coming back 
No, she's never coming back Body and water for days and days Hopes for a safe return with hopes in vain Cause she's never coming back No, she's never coming back When I was 17 I pretended not to care Stayed numb for years to escape despair. When you're so dies, you just can't hide it. Everyone can tell. Oh, Lord, will I ever feel right again? Tried so hard to be an automaton Body of steel and wired circuits for my backbone Cause she's never coming back No, she's never coming back Wild turkey in the car seat The bottle's empty I hope it gave her some relief Cause she's never coming back She's never coming back When I was 17 I pretended not to care Stayed numb for years to escape despair When your soul dies You just can't hide like uh, she is uh, playing a festival called Queer Country um, this week. Um, so you can, if you're in wherever they're holding, I was trying to figure, figure out some details about if it's gonna be virtual or in person, but uh, a whole new genre emerging. And I, for one, I'm here for it. Um, 
beautiful voice, beautiful lyrics, and the stories that we've heard in so many different ways, um, taking front seat in some of these songs um, and, and pieces of art. So hope you enjoy um, and hope it is meaningful to you. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Max. That was really good. I actually um, downloaded the song while it was playing. Um, that was awesome. Thank you for another great choice in that regard. Um, yeah, so today we are going to be talking about the Ascension. I don't think I've actually ever talked about the Ascension before. And truth be told, most churches don't really make a thing out of it, even conservative churches, in part because it's kind of lumped in with Easter. It's part of Christ's glorification uh, at his resurrection. It's also not found, interestingly, in any of the original versions of, or the earliest versions of the Gospels. You'll find a brief mention of it at the end of Mark's Gospel, but most scholars believe that that was added later on by scribes in order to help Mark's Gospel not end so abruptly and, and make more sense. The Ascension story is really only found in the book of Acts, which is originally part of Luke's gospel. A lot of people don't know that Luke and Acts were originally one book. They came to us as, as, one, as one work. But I think the other reason why the ascension is not often discussed is because it's kind of problematic and a little embarrassing even for conservatives, because to believe in a literal ascension means you have to subscribe to an ancient cosmology that heaven is literally up there just above the bright blue sky. It's not clear whether the author of Luke Acts subscribed to a more Greek cosmology or an ancient Hebrew one, but the location of the gods was basically the same in either. God or the gods lived just beyond a finite universe. Ancient Near East cosmology held that the sky was actually a dome, a, a thick ceiling, a dome or a firmament that the sun, moon, and stars were stuck on or implanted on. And beyond that dome ceiling was the realm of the gods, the of angels and deities, right? Uh, ancient Greek cosmology was uh, a bit more advanced and taught that the earth was a sphere. A lot of people don't know that Greek cosmology since the fifth century BC uh, held that the earth was a sphere, but their cosmology was spherical, believed in a, in a spherical universe as well. So it wasn't just that the earth was a sphere, but it was surrounded by a spherical universe with multiple layers, the outermost layer being where the stars resided, and beyond that boundary, the realm of the gods. So in either a Greek or an ancient Hebrew cosmology, God or the gods were literally up there, and, and not too far away, because they could look down on us, <laughs> uh, that they could watch us, uh, and even, you know, uh, you know, transport back and forth. With that in mind, let's read the Ascension story now in, in Acts. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus replied to his disciples, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of sight. 
while he was going and they were gazing upwards towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into the heavens will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven, end quote. So you can see um, the problem. If someone is going to read the Ascension story as literal, they have to answer some tough questions like, where did Jesus go? I mean, we now know, unlike people 2,000 years ago, that there's nothing up there beyond the bright blue sky except infinite amounts of empty space dotted with the occasional star or planet, that there's whole different galaxies with billions and billions of stars and planets, right? People have traditionally attempted to resolve these problems in a variety of ways, modern people. Some say, well, Jesus still ascended because that's what people understood back then. We know that heaven isn't literally up there, just beyond the bright blue sky, but they didn't. So Jesus met them where they were at and ascended into the clouds and then just disappeared when he was out of sight and was teleported instantly into heaven, wherever that is. Another explanation you'll hear is, well, it didn't literally happen the way it says in Acts. You know, it's not that Jesus strapped on a jetpack and, and flew away. The story, the story is allegorical. It's an allegorical way of saying what actually happened, that Jesus actually literally went to heaven after his resurrection and is now seated next to the father. So even if the story of the ascension isn't totally literal, the meaning is still literal. Jesus literally returned to heaven. But you can see how that still poses a problem for conservative readers, because as soon as you say, uh, this, story, this story isn't literal, but still describing something actual, <laughs> you're, you're forced to ask yourself, if you're a thinking person, well, what other miraculous stories from the Bible aren't entirely literal? Uh, and what does that mean for the rest of my faith? Where does that lead? Where, what are the inevitable conclusions of that journey? Which is actually a conversation I had this morning with my mother-in-law here in Oregon, because uh, she asked me what I was preaching on today, and I said the Ascension. And um, she's she's kind of you know kind of an evangelical and. She, she said, you know, it's not that Jesus strapped on a jetpack. We read that more allegorically. And I said, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, so we're, you know, what, what does that mean for the rest of the way you read scripture? And she didn't really want to talk about that. Uh, so it's interesting how a lot of folks don't follow those ideas. Even conservatives don't really follow their reading to its inevitable conclusions because, you know, it's in, induces anxiety. What I find really interesting, though, is, is that the Ascension story has been read mystically or allegorically in the church since at least the third century AD, of course. The famous third century church father and theologian Origen, maybe you've heard of Origen before. You probably haven't because you're not a, a, a total nerd like me. But Origen read the Ascension story in a, in a mystical and allegorical way as about the ascension of, of the mind rather than the body, that Christ ascended into divine enlightenment or divine consciousness, not so much, he didn't, he didn't just fly away. That's even in the third century, that was a little hard to take, take literally. And so, you know, Origen believed that we can have the mind of Christ too. That's kind of the meaning of the ascension, that we too can ascend uh, into divine enlightenment or divine consciousness. 
So it's interesting that there are mystical and allegorical readings or understandings of the ascension, even in the third century and, and probably before. So, so how do I read the ascension story? You may, you may be wondering. For me, I, I, I think we need to begin by understanding that this story shares a lot in common with many other stories from that time and place, meaning the first century Greco-Roman world. Time would not permit us to look at the hundreds of different gods and goddesses and, and demigods and heroes of the Greco-Roman world that were translated into the heavens upon their deaths as a way of being glorified and deified, often taking even their rightful place next to their father Zeus or Jupiter. Can you hear any similarities here? Even actual historical people like Alexander the Great, right? The great uh, third century, fourth century BC uh, Greek conqueror, Alexander the Great and, and Julius Caesar were said to have vanished. Their bodies vanished after death. So, so their mythology says their bodies vanished after death and their bodies were, were translated into the heavens where they, where they became true gods and took their place among the rest of the pantheon. This is called apotheosis, apotheosis, the elevation of a human being to divine status. Apotheosis was a common trope in Greco-Roman mythology, especially the imperial mythology of ancient Greece and Rome, aka the mythology surrounding the emperors. So stories like, like the Ascension of Christ should be read in that historical context as apotheosis was a common way back then for people to deify their heroes. The original first century audience of Luke Acts, the original receivers of that story would have understood the Ascension in that context to be sure. Even conservative scholars today, even, even evangelical scholars today will agree that that's an important thing to understand. And while they still believe in a literal ascension, they believe it was just part of the way God communicated to people back then that Christ was a true God and was someone to follow and worship. You know, just as Christ spoke Hebrew and probably also Greek, because that's what people understood back then, so also Jesus really ascended into the heavens because that's what people understood back then. But there's another understanding of the ascension to be had, and this is the one I like the most. And yeah, it's, it's more of a mystical and, and allegorical under, understanding. Shocker, right? <laughs> but, but this view sees the ascension and Pentecost, which happens just a chapter later. The ascension happens in Acts, Acts 1. The Pentecost happens in Acts 2. This understanding sees the ascension and Pentecost is really the same event. Uh, and actually a kind of replaying uh, a revisiting of the crucifixion and resurrection. The ascension is like the crucifixion in that Christ departs. Christ is gone. Uh, there is divine absence and there is something sorrowful about this. But, but this occurs only so that another kind of divine presence can be realized and occur. In this way, Pentecost, i.e. the coming of the Holy Spirit, which occurs immediately after the ascension, uh, and, as a, and as a direct result of it, that's important to understand, that, that Pentecost is a kind of resurrection of God in the world after God's departure at the Ascension. I, I have a friend and colleague who thinks of the Ascension and Pentecost as being like a firework going off. I think this is a great illustration. At the Ascension, Christ is, is launched into the sky like a firework, which then explodes and, and showers countless sparks back down to earth and on all of us. And that's, that's Pentecost, right? The fire falling down on us. 
I thought that was a pretty cool illustration. And I like that for a few reasons, because it, it helps us see, yeah, the, the, the Ascension and Pentecost is the same event, really. It's less about God leaving and, and more about God deepening his presence with us or pouring himself out completely into the world once and for all. Uh, God, in a, sense, in a sense, disintegrates or, or explodes into countless sparks, which cover the earth, um, you know, Pentecost. You see, I, I, think, I think the main problem I have with traditional understandings of the ascension is that it's seen as a kind of undoing of the incarnation, a reversal of God emptying himself of, of transcendence and becoming human, which I take to mean that being human in all of its fragility and finitude is sacred and divine. That idea is at least somewhat undone, if not completely undone, if we read the ascension as being about uh, you know, Jesus returning to heaven, returning to glory, returning to a state of transcendence and giving up imminence, giving up his humanity, giving up the flesh and, and giving up this life and world. That, that understanding of the ascension is like Jesus saying, you know, this, this, this world isn't really where I belong down here with all of you in the muck and mire of everyday life. I, I needed to come here for a little while, uh, but my mission is over now. So I'm, I'm returning to comfort and, and glory on high. That understanding basically robs the incarnation, I think, of all of its profundity and meaning. It makes the incarnation into something like uh, an evangelical mission trip. <laughs> Jesus is like a, a rich white kid that goes to a foreign country for a little while, a place of, of poverty and profound suffering to do some nice things for those poor folks over there. And, you know, maybe take some selfies with the locals for his Instagram account, only to leave and return to his plush and privileged life back here in the States. And, and in that way, you know, he doesn't really identify with those people over there much at all. But my concern is that is that popular understanding of the ascension turns the incarnation into basically a case of divine volunteerism or, or a case of uh, something like an evangelical mission trip, which robs the incarnation, I think, of all of its meaning. So again, I think the ascension can only be properly understood alongside Pentecost. In the Ascension and Pentecost, we realize that God's absence is also and identically God's presence. That's a, a dialectical understanding. And in this way, the Ascension should not be understood as an undoing or a reversal of the incarnation, but the final stage or the final realization of the incarnation. Uh, where, where God is completely poured out into the world once and for all. Uh, the ascension is not so much, uh, it's not so much an ascension, but a descension, where God fully descends, fully descends into the world uh, as a spirit of beloved community itself. I like how the radical theologian uh, Tom Altizer put it. I understand the resurrection and ascension of Christ to be just another stage of the incarnation. In the resurrection and ascension, Christ does not ascend on high, but descends ever more deeply into this life and this world and into us as a Holy Spirit. I also follow Simone Weil here. Simone, she, she denounced the traditional understanding of the ascension and believed only in, in God's descent in Christ. In Christ, she believed God descended from heaven and onto the earth and into humanity. Then God descended further from humanity into a corpse and into a grave. 
then God finally descended into bread and wine itself, into Eucharist itself. And then God descended finally into love itself. And love, of course, isn't so much of a material object at all. But love is, love is an idea. Love is an event. Love is a deed. In this way, God has completely emptied himself uh, out, out of the cosmos or out of transcendence and into the imminent reality of our life, into the fabric of our lives as love and justice itself. God has become a spirit, something in, in a way kind of intangible and yet real and actual in, a, in, a, in, in the depth dimension of our lives. God exists now, but not, not as a being, but as kind of the being of beings, as kind of love and justice itself the depth dimension of life. This is, this is I, I know it's abstract, but this is, I think, more of, a, more of a New Testament way of understanding the ascension in Pentecost and, and how God has descended completely and in a sense uh, poured himself out canonically, according to Philippians chapter two, uh, completely into the world. I, I think of traditional understandings of the ascension, I, I think traditional understandings of the ascension you know, Jesus literally flew away. I think, I think that undoes all of it. That's a mythological understanding for me. Um, it undoes the descent of God, which is an act of pure love. Love is always an act of descent, a way of humbling ourselves, a way of emptying ourselves of ego and, and choosing instead the well-being and welfare of others. Any understanding of the ascension that is not about God descending, I think is antithetical to the gospel and an undoing of the incarnation and the crucifixion. But ultimately, and I'll, I'll conclude with this, ultimately stories like this, I think were meant to be read as a way of saying back then in the original context that Jesus is greater than Alexander. Jesus is greater than Julius Caesar uh, or the Caesars. Uh, he is the true king of kings and Lord of lords. This, this crucified peasant from Judea, this so-called nothing and nobody, from the backwaters of the Roman Empire, that he is the ultimate expression of divine power and wisdom. In that sense, I think this story, along with the rest of Christ's story, was meant to be understood as a way of attacking and deconstructing concepts of God and concepts of power back then, uh, understandings that always put God on the side of the powerful and the wealthy and those who wielded violence and, and force and could control others with violence and force. To say that, that a crucified peasant who defied both Rome and, and the Jerusalem religious authorities, to say that he was raised and, and ascended into the heavens, this was ultimately a way of saying to the powers that be, you know, you're really powerless, you're, you're really weak, you're under God's judgment, you know nothing of God's power and will. God is nothing like you think he is. He is, in fact, a liberator of the oppressed and, and a defender of orphans and widows. That's, that's really what I think the Ascension is, is about and was about in its original context. And so whether we read it in a more literal way or an allegorical way, I think we must ultimately read it symbolically in, in the way I just described in order to really get it in the first place. So that's my, my talk on the Ascension today. And as always, I want to open it up for, for dialogue here if anybody wants to converse. Um, what, what thoughts does that bring up for you? What are, if you have any questions or comments about any of that?
Well, it's okay if you don't too. <laughs> Aaron, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Doug. Go ahead. Oh, I was, I guess I was muted and didn't realize. Uh, excellent talk. I, I like, I like what she said. And Max, thank you for the lady that sang. She's on her way to being a Loretta Franklin. <laughs> thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. <clears throat> If what I'm, I'm just, looking at. Oh, sorry. What, what's that, Herman? Oh, I was just saying, I, I'll just go on record as saying the version where uh, Jesus just goes up above the clouds and then takes off wherever he was going to go uh, to appease the crowds. I, that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a better story. Let's admit it. It's a better story, right? Yeah, that's, Jesus, that's a, Jesus that's a guy. flies away. That's a guy I can get behind there. Yeah, you know, I have uh, friends, um, pastor friends that that one. We got into a conversation about this the other week, um, uh, last a couple months ago. I think that's what sparked this talk. And they said, um, "Was this just a way for them to get Jesus off the stage?" They were just like, "How do we? How do we end this story? What happens to him?" And they're like, "Wait a minute, why can't he just fly away like Superman?" You know, of course they wouldn't. They didn't have Superman back, but they kind of did. Um, but then. You know, when you actually read it as part of the greater Greco-Roman tradition of apotheosis, you know, bodies vanishing of heroes after their death and them being translated to the heavens, then it makes perfect sense what was really going on there. Um, but it, but the, the deeper meaning is that this, you know, as I said, this crucified peasant, this defender of widows and orphans, you know, this, this nothing and nobody, this, you know, uh, the, this, this man who identified with the so-called least of these, that he's truly king of kings and lord of lords, that God is really on their side. I mean, that was the real scandal of the story. Not that Jesus was raptured into the heavens or could perform miracles. The real power behind the story is that God is on the side of, of people like us, uh, that, you know, the slaves and people like that. Anyway, um, in that sense, we should read it literally. It is literal. We should take it literally like that. Um, if that, if that makes sense. Uh, Simone was, yeah. Um, Simone Vey, uh, Vey spelled with a W E-I-L, Andrew. Um, she is a, in, in, she died in the uh, early 20th century around World War II. She was a political activist, a French woman, and a theologian um, who's part of, actually, um, she is considered one of the grandmothers, you could say it like that, of the radical theology tradition. She was a mystic, but a political activist and a Christian, um, but one that would, uh, be, be aligned with the radical theology tradition today, if that makes sense. But yeah, Simone Vey, uh, last name spelled W-E-I-L. Just read the wiki article to get started on her. And, um, she's, she's fabulous. But she was a, a Christian mystic from the early 20th century and a political activist who, if I remember correctly, she, she died of starvation, actually, um, taking up solidarity with some of the most poor people in Europe after the war. I, I it's something like that. Um, she was very outspoken, um, taking the side of uh, refugees and Jews in particular. She's fabulous. Yeah. Any other comments or questions today about the Ascension or how we read the Bible? 
Hey, hey, hey. Uh, I, I kind of just had a comment. Um, it made me think, I think I mentioned this before in art school, you know, we studied, um, you know, classical paintings, medieval paintings. And it was like in a time when a lot of people weren't literate. So churches had essentially the paintings were illustrations and the Ascension was one of them. They had like, uh, you know, mother and child, Madonna and child, and then the crucifixion, the ascension, and there's a couple others that were very, very common. Mm. And it just reminded me that when, when you start studying those and there's a bunch of different ones, different paintings, it made me think about the images that I had of, I guess, the, my faith, because as artists, you're looking at it, but you're thinking somebody had to make this concrete because those people weren't reading it for themselves. They were experiencing it through these, uh, paintings and so it becomes very literal because there was symbolism to like what color you know robe he wore or you know all that kind of stuff and um I, I don't know what implication that had for those people but I do think for us like much like what you said like actually rethinking these images like what's actually going on like as if you're trying to illustrate it actually has a big impact you know for me it just kind of started my journey so, yeah man yeah thank you for that comment you sparked a thought in me i i kind of look forward to the day where we can read the text and talk about it in in a church setting like this without having to deconstruct it so much and just let the stories be by themselves and unfortunately so many of it so many of us come from traditions that kind of traumatized us with the story and then like unless you believe this just this way then you're not a real christian and so we've kind of had to deconstruct that in order to actually respect the story it's weird how that you know this is actually a way of us still loving and learning how to like love the stories but i i look forward to the day where you know like when we go to a movie theater and watch watch a film, we don't come out being like, now, was that really real? Did that stuff really happen? No, we come out crying or laughing and being like, there, you know, yeah, of course it was fiction, but that, that just made it more true because it was true about who we actually are. And I just, and it's not to say that everything in the Bible is fiction, fiction, that's not what I mean, but I just look forward to the day where we can talk about these stories or share these stories and not have to do all the deconstruction necessarily in order to, I guess, see the deeper meaning. I don't know. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think about, you know, I feel like we're missing something. I, I love the fact that, you know, the stained glass windows and from the medieval church told the stories and the stories themselves were standalone and were powerful without needing to be like deconstructed in any way that we, that we often do today as a result of modernity. But um, anyway, I, I love the, the power of the stories and I, I just want to be a good steward of those stories more than anything else. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, Aaron, I like that thought and I'm not sure in my life if I'll ever get there. Yeah. And I, I've been thinking a lot about, I saw a meme on a, like a Christian pre-trib Facebook 
group because that's what I like to read for fun. And uh, they were talking about how um, uh, Christians lose their faith over four generations. The first generation is a Bible follower, forces their kids to go to church. Next generation, they're not too strict on church. Third generation, they um, don't even think about it. And then by the fourth generation, the, the grandkids or whatever are not Christians anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that that's what my parents worry about. Yep. And that's, you know, it, it's on my mind a lot because I'm not really raising my kids the way I was raised. And, thank God. Um, thank God for that. Well, yeah. And at the same time, it's like, I don't know if I can get to the place with those stories where they're just fiction that I'd want to fiction right like you said but fiction that I'd want to share with my kids you know as like enjoyable or meaningful stories I'm not I don't know how to get to that point I don't know yeah and I I think in some ways modernity has done us a great disservice and the church's way of handling the text as a result of statement and modernity as a way of turning it into science textbook has essentially destroyed the text for us I mean, mm. I, I think that's really what's happened. We, we've, you know, as the, the church, uh, unfortunately, wanted to fight modernity with the text and ultimately destroyed the text by beating us, beating everybody over the head with it. Um, when, when the text should should be read in a powerful way, and, and it because it contains timeless truths, and and the stories themselves are true on a deeper level. And you know, I, I don't know how to communicate that to my daughters yet. I don't. I, I'm hoping that it's not that hard. I don't think it will be, to be honest. I, I feel like they'll, they'll hear me talk about it and whether or not they, they, they appreciate it like I appreciate it is entirely up to them. There's not gonna be any coercion there. Um, but I don't know what's gonna happen with, our, with the next generation. I, I'm concerned about it just as you are. You yeah, know? I mean, I'd, rather t- I'd rather share The Hobbit with my kid than you know, the crucifixion. <laughs> yeah, well, but, yeah, at a certain age, I completely agree. Violence notwithstanding, that's probably a bad example, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You get my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are the questions we wrestle with, right? I just want to chime in really quickly. So, my husband comes from the E gosh, ECL, no, ELCA. Evangelical Church of America. Okay. Um, yeah. So he's Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. It's yes, but they are the most progressive. So they are the liberal of the Lutherans. Yes. Yes. Okay. I know them. Yeah. They're very very affirming of, uh, they, they have, uh, trans pastors now, uh, yes. Contextualize them for everybody else. So that's how my husband grew up. And what's really interesting hearing, you know, Jason talk and you talk, my husband has none of the trauma we have. Yeah. And for me, it seems like a lot of the same things were happening, but it was much more ritualistic. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just, it's just really interesting. The things that I talk about with him that he just never experienced. Um, and so he definitely doesn't have the same trauma, but it, it, it gives me hope that there is definitely a way to, to do this without, I mean, there's, there's definitely a way to, you know, pass down tradition and, um, stories of value, you know, 
um, in a way that's healthy and doesn't leave you with damage. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I just, I, I thought I always am fascinated by like things that I share with my husband. He's like, that's insane. I never <laughs> even, you know, and I'm like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, but anyway, I just thought I would, I just thought I would share. Yeah. No, that's really good. I'm, I'd be curious to talk to Kit a little more about that um, because his experience is so uh, foreign to me and to you and to others. You know, I, I, um, uh, again, I was talking with my mother-in-law this morning about my sermon today and the direction I was going with it. And she was just like, I don't know anybody who believes in the literal ascension era. And she goes to a kind of evangelical church. And I was just like, I, I, and I was just kind of like, I don't think you, but they never talk about that. They would never deconstruct that because I think that would be too anxiety filled. And it's kind of like, I think you're not really following. You might not. And it was, it, it's interesting. I, I feel like it's a little bit like don't ask, don't tell a lot of those churches where it's kind of like everybody pretends like they believe this stuff literally. But once you talk with them alone in their kitchen on a Sunday morning, they're like, we don't really believe this stuff. Literally, nobody really does. It's kind of like the secret that isn't, it's like the, how do I put the, it's like the, the unspoken secret that everybody actually knows. Like nobody really believes this stuff literally, but we have to pretend like we do so that we don't offend anybody. It's like um, the way Santa Claus is treated in a lot of families, right? Where it's sort of like, you know, the parents eventually know the kids don't believe in Santa anymore, but the kids feel bad kind of admitting that. So they go along with the charade around Christmas time because the parents love to pretend to, and everybody just kind of goes along with it because it's a fun tradition, but nobody really buys into it. You know what I mean? But it, now that's a very, that's a very benign kind of thing, but when it functions on like a church level, it, where there's homophobia and there's racism involved with that. And there's, you know, all this trauma wrapped up into beliefs and theology, it's no longer benign to no long to just go along with the show. People need to work through this and and to deconstruct and to and to acknowledge that because um you guys all know. Anyway, it's just interesting how that works. Um, you know, Doug, it's like that, it's like that um illustration, that parable about the horseshoe, you know. Uh you know, I, of course, I don't believe the horseshoes actually work, but I heard they work even if I don't believe in it. You know, it's sort of it's sort of like that. Right. I agree with that. I like yeah. what you're saying today. And I like what you're saying just recently. I also liked what Jason said. The steps in generations. Uh, I can relate to that. And I, that seems to me that it, it tends toward atheism. But I, I, that's just my interpretation. If you can correct me on that, I'm, I'm open. But then what Madeline said, uh, it was also very good. Yeah. And I'd like to hear about all religions and, and all things. I've recently heard things. Well, I also like you having guest speakers on the Catholics, the Muslims, so on. Yeah, yeah. Like we should do that again. Some, we, we, we should do that again once we get back you know, into our building right. on a regular basis. Yeah, Doug, I like that. And uh, you raise a good point. You know, I, I think um, being being somebody that's really open and honest and inquisitive with their faith uh, mm-hmm. is, is always, uh, you know, feeling a little bit of atheism. I, I think that's, I, th- I think to be a true believer is to experience atheism all the time, I, I, I think. Um, you know, faith and doubt always go hand in hand. And you know, in a sense, the goal in this in this thing we call a spiritual community is to reach a point of comfort with the anxiety 
of these questions to, to in, a, in, a, in essence, kind of um, not enjoy the anxiety, but, but to enjoy the unknowing, to embrace the mystery, to make peace with these, with these doubts and these questions. And because they're really interesting. And in a sense, uh, faith is the courage to embrace the anxiety of unknowing. And um, so it's, yeah. it's perfectly normal that you should feel a little atheism uh, as a result of this. Um, it seems God would have it no other way, Doug. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Uh, May, I did want to respond and say thank you for telling me that. I, I uh, absolutely want to be sensitive to that. And if Emily was here, she'd be like, don't say that around the kids. Because we, we, do, we do do Santa at our house. Yes, it's fun. Another religion I'd like to hear you uh, have, I'd like to hear too, is the Jehovah Witness. Oh, uh, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know much ab about them. Um, I know a little bit, but I've never actually sat down and talked to one. Um, yeah, but that's not a bad idea. I, I, I'd really like to hear that. Uh, they, they believe in some things that I don't believe in. Uh, as I understand it, they think heaven is going to be here on earth. And yeah, I don't know. It, That's a good question. I don't know. Uh huh. And, and it I've probably just, depends on it. Probably depends on a lot of on the Jehovah's Witness we talk to. There's probably okay. as much of a diversity of belief within their community as there is within ours. So you always have to temper what, whenever we bring in a Muslim, um, uh, an Imam, or a Buddhist monk or you know somebody from a different tradition we're getting their understanding of it which i'm sure another member of that tradition would be like they're totally wrong <laughs> but what anyway that is we good christians or any we we are if we if we meet the right requirements we'll go to heaven now what about all these other religions uh does that mean they're not going to the good place Oh, they don't well, believe in Christ. No, I don't believe that. I don't believe that, Doug. But let's 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 table that for another time. That's a good conversation to have. But, you know, you know, we don't we don't teach uh, hellfire and brimstone uh, for anybody, first of all. Uh, and we certainly don't teach it about those who don't share our religion. But anyway, that's a conversation for another time. But I, that's, that's a good conversation. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Any other thoughts today or questions or remarks before we conclude? One question that I have. Okay. For the first time, I've been able to see on my screen others that are uh -oh. there. And it seems to be very limited. Are there more? Well, there's a total of, there was a total of uh, 18 here this morning. But oh. uh, some people peel away as soon as the talk's over, uh, my talk. Um, but there's a total of, there's 15 right now, Doug. Is that available to me? I'd like to see who's there. Yeah, I don't know how to operate your iPad. You have to. Carol is here. Can you explain to her maybe? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You probably roll. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Uh, where, I like your background. Hey Doug, you if, if you have a, Doug, if you have an iPad, you should be able to swipe to the left and see the rest of the people. Oh, oops. Well, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, nine. Oops. Well, it's not too important. We'll try to okay. figure. But, All right. Uh, Thank you again. Where are where is your background? 
uh, today. Oh, you're talking to me? Um, I'm in I'm in Oregon. I'm at my in-laws place in um, just south of Portland. Oh, great. It's very nice. nice. It, yeah, it's very nice. It's not a fake background. That oh. is a real room behind me. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah look at like a spacious place. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's raining out now, actually. Anyway, well, thank you for being everybody. It's 1120. Um, we shall uh, gather again next week. The faithful remnant, I guess. Uh, but uh, yeah, ch check out the schedule that I posted on Facebook and um, look forward to seeing you all in person sometime soon. Later, friends. Bye.